This is In Jewish History, a podcast of Indiana Jewish History. My name is Mike Brown, and today I'm joined by Peter Plotke, who's here to discuss how his family came to America and his life growing up in Hammond, Indiana, as the son of a rabbi who escaped from Nazi Germany. Hi, and uh, welcome to the Indiana Jewish History podcast. I'm here with uh, Peter. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And Peter is going to share with us a little bit uh, today his his experiences about his father and and their family coming to America and about his experiences uh, growing up in Hammond, Indiana, being at uh, Indiana University. So, uh, Peter, uh, please let me know. Tell me a bit about your 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 fascinating history between behind your father's time as a rabbi. Okay, when when would you like me to start? <laughs> what point? Uh, let Let's start. Let's start early on. Let's start uh, early into his early into his career as a rabbi in Germany. Okay, my dad uh, was a rabbi. Had had two congregations in Germany unfortunately, in the late 1930s. Uh, after he graduated from the seminary, he, w- he was posted to a small town in eastern Germany called Landsberg an der Warte, that's Landsberg, uh, where I was born, and uh, was there for about a year. And then he went to another com- also very small community, Schneidermühl, um, and was there for, uh, I would say, under two years. 1938, though, was a turning point, as, as we know, German history. Uh, he was in danger of being arrested by the Gestapo. Uh, he had to make a, a decision. He made a decision. He basically moved back to Berlin, where the family is from, and was there for a, a short while. And then obtained a temporary visa to the United States, which allowed three months residence in the United States. If he could find, he was sponsored when he came over, but he had to find a job in the United States within three months, which of course was impossible. So Franklin D. Roosevelt exported him deported him. Uh, He went to Cuba, where there were many uh, German Jewish refugees. And my dad lived there for about a year and a half. My mother and I were still in Germany at that time. He then was able finally, at the beginning of 1940, to obtain a position in a small town in Pennsylvania, Phillipsburg, PA, that's near Altoona, and he was able to send for us, and my mom and I came over on the last ship out of of, uh, Italy, for what it's worth, the Rex, which later was sunk in the harbor. Um, And we joined him in in, uh, Phillipsburg. Should I go through his other communities? Um, Sure, if you'd like to. talk a little bit about what what was it like you know coming do you have any memories as a very small child first coming oh, yeah. to america I, yeah i remember i remember the the ship ride my mom was uh, seasick and i wasn't and i've never been seasick and i was also in the u.s navy at some point in my life uh, i got i got her a couple of oranges and she hadn't seen oranges in Germany for years because it was a, a food shortage already in the 1930s. Uh, and that's about, and then I remember, you know, coming down the gangplank in uh, New York Harbor, not on Ellis Island, but actually New York. Um, and there was my dad and I was very happy to see him obviously. And he was happy to see me and to see my mother we unfortunately left the entire rest of the family behind in Germany and they all perished in some way or other. Um, 
after, and, and until I was a little kid, I was only uh, just turning four years old, so I don't have much memory of Phillipsburg, but it was a nice little town. My dad then found another position in Camden, New Jersey, that's across the Delaware River from Philadelphia with a much larger congregation. And, he, and we were there for a couple of years also. And then he took another position in New Bedford, Massachusetts. That's in the southern part of Massachusetts, Fall River and New Bedford being like twins, twin cities. Uh, and that's the whaling capital of America for what it's worth. Uh, and from there, after a couple of years, we went to Kingston, New York. That's up on the Hudson River, 90, 92 miles north of New York City. And uh, I was bar mitzvahed there. In 1949, he took a position in Hammond, Indiana. And we took the great car ride across America, uh, including the ferry boat across the uh, Lake Erie and uh, wound up in Hammond, 1949. Wow. And what was the city like there in, in 1949 for you? It was, it was a pretty dynamic city. We, we moved into a, into a nice apartment building on the, right on the state line across the street from us was Calumet City, Illinois. Uh, and it was, it was a, a real city. It was not obviously not Chicago or New York, but it was a, it was a real city with real streets and real stores and uh, that's just, that's about all I can say. I, I I went I I was enrolled then in junior high school at, at uh, eighth or seventh, eighth grade. And then I went to Hammond High School. My dad continued as a rabbi there into the 1970s. So it's uh, quite a long time. Yeah. It was a good city. Hammond was a good city. Indiana was a good experience. I, though I've been actually gone from IU for are from Indiana for 50 odd years, I still consider myself a Hoosier. So it's <laughs> right now I'm wearing an, I'm wearing an old IU sweatshirt right now. It's pathetic. <laughs> well, that must be hard living in Wolverine country and being a Hoosier, right? Oh, I don't care about the Wolverines. I, one of my daughters went there and uh, yeah. <laughs> I put. My, all my daughters went to different schools in India, in Michigan. So, mm -hmm. and what would you say? You know, growing up in Hammond, what were the majority of the Jews involved in doing? Were most of them still um, running Merchants. small, small, small family stores, things like that? Yeah, yeah. It was mostly merchants. Uh, the and, and quite a few professionals were quite a few lawyers and doctors. Um, it, was a, it was a typical Jewish community of a middle-sized town as far as, as the demographics and the occupations and things like that. As, as you know from the, that picture you sent out of that store, uh, the biggest store in downtown Hammond was Goldblatt Brothers, which was a Chicago company. And uh, it was kind of like the, the the center of downtown. Have you been to Hammond? I have been, but not for some time, not for a long time. So it might look yeah. a little bit different. They, I know they've taken some things yeah. down. Um, I mean, you know, talking about the, the community, um, you know, uh, what would you say the observance levels were like? The, the synagogue was conservative, correct? It was, it was, it, was, it, was more, it tended more towards Orthodox when my dad got there. Uh, 
but that pretty much changed, you know, not in not too long a period. So it was conservative. It was conservative congregation. My dad being a conservative rabbi, that's how he got that position there. And there was a very, it was an outstanding reform temple in in Hammond too. And and your father, you know, comparing you know observance levels and 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 traditions from what he had seen in Germany. Was the community on a similar observance level of the communities he experienced in Germany, or a little more observant, or a little less observant? I really couldn't comment because I, I was a little kid. I was just, you know, turning four years old, so I can't yeah. say what the level was. Uh, we observed everything at home. It was like, uh, you know, a very traditional Jewish upbringing much closer to Orthodox than to Reform. And how many people still walk to shul versus drive back then? Quite a few, because uh, basically the Jewish congregation first, uh, when my dad got there, was on Sibley Street, which was more in downtown Hammond, which is no longer a Jewish area. But then they they built much better in synagogue on, on Holman Avenue, which is the main drag in Hammond. And the more the end of town where a lot of the Jews lived. So there were quite a few walkers. There really were. And and who, I mean, which community would you say was bigger, the conservative or reform communities? Oh, we were much bigger. We, yeah. And, and that Typically speaking, in most Midwestern cities, is not the norm, correct? It's normally the Reform congregations are normally bigger than the conservative, or was it different back then? I don't. I didn't understand the question, Seth. So, it it tended to be, and 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 most most cities in Indiana it tended to be the reverse that the Reform Temple was larger than the conservative synagogue. Oh, yeah. Um, would you say yeah. that's the result that because many of the the members of your father's synagogue were, were second generation uh, congregants or, or when, least, did, when did they arrive? At least second or third, second and even third. Mm -hmm. Most of the, uh, I, I can't really comment on, on on the temple's membership, but uh, we had a lot of, you know, pretty outstanding people and uh, well-connected people. <laughs> so it was already pretty, because some of uh, our older journals that we have about Hammond have stories from the first generation people who came and, and worked in the factories and worked in some steel yeah. mills. And so this is already yeah. the second generation from that. Right. A lot of a lot of our people were still not working. You know, I I had a couple years with, with Standard Oil, and I had you know uh, I worked at Inland Steel one summer. That was kind of the tradition in the, in in that area. You know, we we worked. Wow. And what what was the relationship? Because Inland Steel is so is so famous and had such a big impact on the yeah. Jewish population there. I mean, what was it like working one summer in Inland Steel? Inland Steel, you know, that Inland Steel was owned by the Block family. It was a Jewish-owned steel mill. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, like almost everything in my life. I, I enjoyed it. It was a very nice experience. Uh, one of the one of the unwritten rules in, in that area was if you needed a job, you had to join a union. So I joined the steel workers. One summer, I I dug ditches for uh, the one of the utilities, and I had to join the mine workers. That's that's life in Northwest Indiana. It was very heavy union country. Interesting, and um, so. I mean, what was what was the Jewish community's relationship with with unions, with labor? Would you say were there still a lot of people involved in unions and labor there? 
No, I don't think so. I think it's just it's just part of being there. I don't think that anybody was active, you know. I don't remember any of our people being active politically, even. In other words, Jews holding office. I I don't remember any of that. But again, that's. I I left Hammond at, at age whatever twenty nine, so I don't know. And, um, you know, uh, looking back and reflecting on it a bit, I mean, were, you know, were, I mean, did most of the households tend to keep kosher back then? You know, did you have a kosher butcher in town? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was a run of kosher butchers there. We sometimes we had two of them. Wow. Um, So there was there was a, a demand for it. We had a fairly large community, and although on a percentage basis, you know, like like in my high school, there were only a handful of Jewish kids graduating with me. That's just uh, a percentage thing. We're not we're not the majority there. But it was probably a huge school, and population-wise, Hammond was was a pretty large city. Hammond High now. Yeah, Hammond High was a big school. Remember, they they won the state basketball tournament a few times and uh, beat South Bend Central. But you don't you you didn't go to Central, so I won't mention that. Um, um, and, and what I mean. Very, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, very. It was a very good school, Hammond High, and. Uh, Good faculty and good good fellowship and everything. Almost everybody wound up going to college, and if they didn't go to college, Hammond had a, had a very peculiar uh, education system. There were two high schools, well, three high schools, counting Bishop Knoll, which was the Catholic high school. We had Hammond High and Hammond Tech, and Morton, which was on the other side of town. Hammond High was for the kids who were aiming to go to college. Tech was for those who were aiming to work, to become, you know, work in industry or work in, in, in the trades. And the, and the schools were about equal population, both, both quite large. Interesting. And, and was it a fairly integrated city at the time? Uh, as far as African-Americans were saying? Correct, uh, yes. There was a very small African community population in Hammond. They lived on basically one neighborhood near the high school, right in the heart of town. I don't recall any segregation or any incidents or anything bad. Uh, you know, I went to school with them. <laughs> did, did you encounter any anti-Semitism growing up in Hammond at all when you were younger? In Hammond, no. No. Earlier in Kingston, New York, places like that, yes. But in Hammond, no, I don't recall anything ever. And, um, I mean, would you say it's partially because Hammond was such a multi-ethnic place at the time? I mean, it not not necessarily integrated yet, but because there were so many different groups that were there, could that have played played a role in it? Or or what would you say would, would, would make... Am in a more tolerant, less anti-Semitic environment. Yeah, I, I don't recall anti-Semitism at all, but it may have been, but I, I just don't recall it ever happening. It, and it was multi-ethnic. It was, you know, most of the East European countries were very well represented there. Uh, also, you know, fairly large southern population people came up to work in the in the mills and things like that it was, it was a, a very typical i don't want to say grant wood kind of community but uh it was an, a a good place to to be and um would you say um growing up you know people were more committed to going to Minyan, to go, you know, coming for Shabbat there, growing up, uh, and, and, you know, how did uh, people kind of look at their own Judaism in Hammond? 
I don't know if I can comment because again, I'm, I'm a, I was a kid, mm-hmm. but and, uh, there was always good attendance at services and. Uh, My dad never had had a problem raising a minion, you know. So, so it was it was good. It was a good, a good lively congregation. Well, I, I guess a better way of saying this is how many how many bar mitzvahs did you have per month? Maybe that would be a better way of phrasing it. I don't know if there were that many per month, but there were, there were quite a few. There were quite a few. There's some people that I hear, you know, stories from the 60s where, you know, they have like the, the, the synagogues are so full, they have a bar mitzvah like almost every week. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have a temple here in, in Michigan where they have three or four bar and bat mitzvahs on a Shabbat. It's a reform congregation, but they have a huge membership and it's, it's you know, they have different halls. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's quite big. Um, and I mean, what would I mean? What would you say would be I'm trying to think in terms of of how people perceive themselves from different parts of Indiana? So when you went to Indiana University, you obviously met. Jews from other parts of Indiana and other parts oh, yeah. of the state, how did they perceive the region versus the rest of the state when you and you're calling it the re- you're calling it the region, which is good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to use use terminology that's use, use the terminology of our rather unusual area. Yeah. Um I had different roommates. I'm trying to think of, you know, one from Kemet City and then one from Gary. Uh, I don't know if there was a big rivalry, you know, between us and the people from Indianapolis, which we called Naptown, I'd like. And South Bend and Evansville, etc. We all sort of integrated in, you know, in, in our dormitories and in our fraternities and sororities. So I don't think there was much rivalry, as as far as as our geographical locations. And you were one of the founding. Were, when was API founded at IU? At IU in 57, I believe it was. And you were part of one of the founding classes there? Is that correct? I was, yeah, I was one of the founders. And I mean, how did- We didn't want to be Sammies or CBTs. (laughs) (laughs) They they were already established at IU long before API. Very large and very established. we were a very small fraternity at that time. There was the handful you saw the you, you were nice enough to find that clipping. There was a handful of us, and not all the people lived in the house. Some of them still lived in the dorms. And and so did you go to the Hillel house at all growing up? I mean, I'm sorry, not growing up a while in college, I should say. Occasionally, occasionally. They but were, uh, did they did they did uh, they say oh a rabbi's son okay now we have someone who can land for us <laughs> no that never happened I was I was extremely I was extremely integrated there was no there's no problem with that <laughs> <laughs> um so but uh, uh that, and, I, that and I was in college at the same time as Tommy Stoyer I told you about him and he's the the son of the reform rabbi from Hammond well. That's fascinating. You're both the same age, and you both yeah. went to IU the same time. Uh, and he was born, and he was born in Germany, like I was. And uh... incredible. Uh, well, I mean, it would be amazing if we could all get together. Uh, you know, if he would feel comfortable doing it to do, um, you know, a live Zoom video about experience. You know, he, so he could share his experiences too, and and. And discuss yeah. what that what that's like because it's such a unique experience. Right. Um, well, I, I don't know 
Tommy's even around anymore. I haven't, I haven't talked with him in 50 years, give or take. But <laughs> Wow. Um, and but I'm still in contact with a, a number of people from Hammond, and that's uh, the, the beauty of the Internet. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. It really is the beauty of the Internet. Um, I, I mean, what would you say, the, you know, going from, you know, town to town, you know, what did you did you really feel like you had a really good feel for 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 America by the time you got to Hammond, you know, going, you know, what yeah. was it like going from all these different towns growing up? I, I was extremely American from the very beginning. I, I rejected the German language immediately, and I had to relearn it. Actually, I, my, my folks spoke it occasionally, but not that much. And I had to relearn it in high school and college to the point where, you know, if I go to Germany or went to Germany a few times, uh, I could understand and I could sort of speak. Um, was that the, the an answer to your question? Yeah, yeah. I, I did you? I mean, did you go back there before the end of the Cold War? Because you said that he was in uh, in, in the uh, eastern part of Germany. Yeah, I, I, I went behind the curtain on my own. Uh, it was my right as an American citizen to do that, and and I did. Wow. And what was it like in, in East Germany? It's one, of my favorite, it's one of my favorite stories. I I went through Checkpoint Charlie. Are you aware of that? Checkpoint Charlie. Yes, yes. The only passage between East and West Berlin. I told the, the U.S. soldiers, hey, guys, if I'm not back by, you know, five o'clock, send in the troops. I didn't get back. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get back till seven, and they never came for me. So. <laughs> and and when I was in East Berlin, it was a May Day, so it was a big celebration. The communists were all out, goose goose stepping in the streets as Germans would. Uh, and I was followed by Volkpolizei the entire time. Volkspolizei, the police, were always walking somewhere near me or behind me the whole time I was there. If I told my parents I was going to do something like that, they would have gone out of their minds. But I I had a sense of adventure. Wow. So, I mean, did you ever check out to see if the Stasi was actually following you? Because they have those, you can see oh, the files were... there. No, I didn't, I didn't see any of that stuff, but I, but I know there were FOPO behind me. Wherever I was, it was like like absolutely amazing. And once I was on the other side of the wall, I never looked at the wall because I knew that's something you don't do. And uh, it was a part in a, by East Berlin versus West Berlin. East Berlin was was impoverished. It was just it was it was very sad. Found a place to cup of coffee and that was about it <laughs> wow and i mean just could you just see the damage in the city of the east that hadn't been repaired and hadn't been built over uh I, it was mostly repaired it was it was just there was just no real life in the in the in the area our our family cemetery was in East Berlin, so that was a, a reason to go there. Um, the, they didn't tend to take care of things. They let the East Germans let things get run down, as opposed to West Berlin, where everything was was bouncing already. But we're talking, you know, a long, long, long time ago. Yeah. But also fifty years the war, so. For almost 15 years. That's, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, it's also a very scary experience because, you know, hearing... I could everything... have been arrested. Yeah, for sure. I could, and... have, gone, I could have gone to Siberia. Who knows? It's, yeah, it's... <laughs> But they, I mean, they didn't. They didn't ask you like what your reason for coming or visiting there was. Oh, yeah. yeah, they did, of course. Yeah, I don't want to. Just a tourist. I, I want to look around. 
I had just gotten out of the Navy and I was still a hero. And I did stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. I, 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 you know, I went to Franco, Spain. I went, I went uh, to Yugoslavia when it was still Tito world. And uh, that's stuff I did, you know. Fascinating. That I mean, that's such a different world. Europe's, uh, you know, so it's changed much, so much. None. Much easier now. <laughs> yeah. Well, after I mean, pre or, or post COVID, now it's it'll be easier to travel. These all those places closed down for for te temporary. Um, oh, they're, they're gone. They're gone. <laughs> they they won't let American tourists in anyway, and we wouldn't travel. So yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I I visited Berlin once, and so I the the I kind of got to you know recognize the different neighborhoods, and uh, I wonder what what did Alexanderplatz look like back back yeah. the, back, back then? then? Well, yeah. that's that's where the where the checkpoint Charlie was. Yeah, it cut through Alexanderplatz. Uh, now it's a it's a very li lively and nice place, and 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 then it was just kind of a wide open area. But the you know the, the streets were paved, everything looked good. Just there wasn't the activity back then. And Potsdamer Platz was just a huge minefield, right? Basically, now it's this huge build up mall area, right? Yeah. Oh, you were you were a good tourist. You went to good yeah. areas, <laughs> yeah. or or places that used to be bad areas that uh, that are now they kind of revive. Yeah. It's interesting and going to the um, you know where the uh, where the Jewish neighborhood roughly was in Berlin uh, was, was interesting in, in the middle neighborhood. And yeah. Mita, yeah, that was that was fascinating and seeing um, a huge huge. Do you, did you recall did, seeing the new synagogue in on uh, Oranian Strasse oh, like yeah. before it was rebuilt? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's amazing building. Very very impressive building. how they rebuilt it in in these in the same form it originally was. And how it survived the war is just a miracle. Oh, it didn't. It didn't really. No, it didn't really. They they kind of rebuilt it. That's true. You're talking about the Iranian border? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. yeah. I mean, it didn't yeah. survive exactly the same way, but the entire uh, building didn't collapse, though. That's No, no. But unfortunately, you know, <laughs> fortunately, we bombed the hell out of the Germans and, they, and you know, they had to rebuild. Uh, these are these are fascinating neighborhoods, and and I mean, did you go to anywhere outside of outside of uh, East Berlin and to East Germany, you know, on your trip? No. Or no, you didn't want to risk no, that. No, like where I was born and places like that. No, I've yeah. never been over there. Where I was born, and, and both these towns, Schneidermühle and and Landsberg, are now in Poland, as as Germany was re was divided after the war. They're now called Gorzow and Piwa. Mm -hmm. So they've they've vanished from the from the map. Wow. Um and I and I'm not comfortable in the in much of the rest of Germany. Uh, you know, again, I the first time I went in, I went in with my cousins who live in Switzerland and uh I had trouble breathing, you know, mm -hmm. oh my god, kind of thing. And yeah. I went in one time and there were all these old gentlemen. And again, I didn't like it at all because these were the old Nazis. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a bit stress inducing. Berlin, yeah, Berlin has less of that. It was a cosmopolitan city and it's very cosmopolitan now. And if you noticed as, as a tourist there, how, I don't know what, follow Semitic or whatever you want to call it, how much Jewish stuff is in that city, how much right. commemorative stuff is everywhere. Certainly, yeah. You know, That's including true. on the sidewalks and buildings and in separate buildings. And it's, it's, they've worked hard to, to atone 
yeah, you get reminded about it um, almost everywhere you go there, um, in almost every single neighborhood, yeah. even even in the far you know eastern neighborhoods that we saw. You, you still you mm-hmm. still see parts that memorialize the Holocaust. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I mean, and and that in that sense, and and I mean, it's just a very it's it's it's. To me, I don't know. It it seemed like kind of like going to Chicago, but everyone was speaking German. I don't know how to how, how to put it. It's a very <laughs> cosmopolitan place. Oh no, you're right. You're saying Berlin is a very cosmopolitan city. It's 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 got a lot of life to it, and a lot of an awful lot of history, right. a lot of an awful history. But uh, were you able to see the cemeteries in East uh, Berlin? A little bit. Um, we. We actually put the memorial, up, the memorial right. out in front. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's very, that, those parts are very sad, as you know, and um, it's those, those are, but I, th- I think it's really a worthwhile city to go because there's so much Jewish history there. You know, Moses oh, Mendelssohn, um, so, so many things happened there. There were so many, there were so many great rabbis were there. Um, that I, I think e- even even with the great you know evil that happened there, um, there was so yeah, much my, tremendous my Jewish good before. So. Right, right, right. It had an enormous Jewish population. Berlin. It was. Uh, it was and they, and now with the Russian Jews who live there, they have another enormous population. Right, and you have Israelis who live there now who go yeah, there in large numbers. Huge Israeli. Oh, did you see the, the Israeli shops and? Yeah, yeah, you can get you can get uh, Israeli hummus there, of course, and uh, yeah, some other some other different. Very strange. <laughs> yeah. uh, even uh, this this Yemenite dish uh, that's really popular in Israel, you can get that there. All all sorts of things. So. Um, but, well, the best the yeah. best German food we ate was Turkish. A doina kebab, or if you, I, I can't, I can't do that. Nice. I didn't want to tempt German, fate. German, German food is good, just though. not. I don't like it. <laughs> Polish. <laughs> something about these foods I don't like. <laughs> well, well, I mean, Kaspatslo's was was pretty good. Um, that's the one thing that I, I I do like, but most of it's you know right. It's kind of lots of uh, lots of sausages and stuff like that. Um, that's my that's the main ingredient. Yeah. <laughs> that's not good. That's that's not too great if you're Jewish on the menu. If that's what, right, what you right. have to choose from, it kind of leaves a lot. Of, <laughs> a lot of the menu is not there, <laughs> right? But but now you have. I mean, you just have everything to choose from. Although there was great. There was great Wiener Schnitzel in Berlin. I remember that. Oh well, I, I mean, well, that must have been quite an experience going to an East German restaurant. Oh yeah, <laughs> seeing yeah. what's on the menu. What, what do they have in a in an East German restaurant on the menu? I'm wondering. Like I said, not much. I, I didn't get much beyond a cup of coffee. <laughs> of course, so, I didn't. I didn't. You know. It might have been on other streets. I mean, it was a big city, and, but you know, wherever I was looking, and it was lunchtime, and I was hungry. So there. Wow. Well, I, and I and, and well, I, I heard towards the end of the GDR, they were trying to recruit rabbis to go to East well, Germany, really? and uh, and believe it or not, one American rabbi actually went to East Berlin oh. because they wanted to sort of re they wanted to gain, you know, diplomatic acceptance because the Soviet Union was falling apart and they 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 right. thought they were going to fall apart. So they were trying at the last minute to do this PR buzz by bringing mm-hmm. an American rabbi there. Um and That's interesting. rebuilt trying to rebuild their, you know, they I read that East Germany only built one synagogue in its entire history that it only started one, one congregation. And I can't remember where that's at. Um, someone yeah. told me about that. And 
I, I can't even imagine how many Jews are still behind the Iron Curtain there. Did you, did you know? Did you ever look that up? Or I don't think there were that many. I mean, there were the major cities, you know, Leipzig and uh, Dresden. And I mean, there were major cities behind the Iron Curtain. So there were bound to be some Jewish people there. Leftovers um, from the war, basically, uh, and and also there were there were probably quite a few Jews who were members of the communist uh, leadership. So, which the, unfortunately is part of our history. There was. Uh, it's interesting that one of the I don't I don't know if he, both his parents were Jewish, but one of the writers of the um, East German national anthem, um, I think it definitely his father oh. was Jewish. Uh, came back and and wrote it after living in the United States for some time, um, and then there, there's a couple of different writers that that later on became uh, critics uh, mm -hmm. of the regime there and, and fell out of favor. Uh, the the author of Jacob the Liar, um, that that became a uh, a movie with uh, uh, John William not John Williams. Uh, Think of it in a second. Um, that's that's. I know one. who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, did you? I mean, did you can did 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 your family continue to? I don't know. Be interested in? Did they kind of just make a total pass with you know, German philosophy and and art and things like that, or did they still? I don't know. There, it no, just depends on the family, was, really. I don't think we had a sense of Germanness. I, I really don't. I, I, my father was 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 a class among other things. He was a classical musician, uh, so obviously we liked this, <laughs> the classical music that came out of Germany and the great art that came out of Germany, but. Uh, not a sense of being German. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's probably the consensus among uh, most most Jews who came from uh, German-speaking commu communities. They sort of had this. Um, it's interesting because my my wife's family they're um, they're from an Oberlander background that speaks German and comes from oh. Hungary and uh, parts of Romania. And, it, okay. you know, interestingly enough, you know, they still, you know, use different German recipes and listen to classical oh. music, you know, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and do op operator with, you know, my, my grandma, my, the, you know, my, my mother-in-law with, with my son, they do op operator. You know, that song, <laughs> you know, the, the, these, these small, interesting things, you know, um, yeah. Uh, and, culture. And, yeah, that just even in Israel, some of these uh, some of these things still still play into the culture. Um, well, I I had no well, you know, the, uh -huh, Go ahead. The largest uh, tourist group in Israel are Germans. Right. More right. than American. I mean, that's that's astounding. Right. Right. I had a I had an interesting experience during the war, or not during the war, during when I was in the Navy. Uh, I was in, I think, Recife, Brazil, or somewhere, and I'm I'm walking down the street with a couple of my buddies, and we're in uniform, and I, I get into a conversation with a couple of young men, and they're speaking German. I'm speaking German. I we get invited to the German consul. For uh, basically a party, you know, a bunch of young 20-somethings 20 for a party. And we went there, and all, everybody got pretty drunk or close to drunk. And the German, one, one or two of the German guys actually broke into tears. They felt so guilty for what their parents and grandparents had done. And they did not know any of us were Jewish. I was the only Jew, but... No. I think it's it's in the German soul, and it goes on and on and on and on. What years were you in the Navy? Oh, just a couple of years. 
I volunteered. I was going to be drafted. I didn't want to be drafted, so I joined the Navy. You didn't want to go to go go to Vietnam straight from. Uh, no, I just college. I just missed Vietnam, and uh, I also the Navy as a college graduate and a graduate journalist. I, I didn't, you know, get any tough billings. <laughs> it was all all very nice. And tell me a little bit about your your career as a journalist. Well, I was uh, my my degree from you was in journalism. Back then, there was such a thing as journalism. There is none anymore. Uh, I, I my first job was in Lansing, Illinois which is a sort of hand. And I was a sports writer and then editor of a, a small town paper. And I had a, a number of small town uh, journalism assignments. I went into PR because there was no real future in journalism. I tried going to two of your Indianapolis papers, to Detroit and Chicago, and they just weren't hiring. So. I switched into PR and that's yeah. my career. I was a sports writer mostly. Uh, I got to sit in the press box and take my dates there and stuff like that, which was very fun. Met a lot of famous athletes. Interesting. And uh, who, who would you say is the most fam famous athlete you know, that you met? Do you, do you know the name Frank Radovich, who for Indiana, who's the center? Yeah, yeah. On the basketball team. Yeah. Uh, Frank, Frank was sort of a friend of mine. He was from Hammond High, and then he was at IU at the same time. Uh, he was drafted by the Warriors. Wow. And uh, as a spreader, I was out on, uh, I think, Chicago Stadium. The Chicago team was playing the Warriors, and um, he invites me out on the court, and, and uh, he introduces me to Will Chamberlain, which is a highlight of my life. <laughs> wow. Stuff That's like incredible. that. Stuff like that. It's fun. Life can be fun. That's incredible, getting to meet Wilt the Stelt. Um, yeah, Wilt the Stelt. There's, there's my friend Frank Radovich, who I thought was tall. But he was only like you know six seven or six eight or yes he he's still six seven or eight. Uh, so are you a Bulls fan or a Pistons fan? On the court, on the court. I mean, not not somewhere else. You know, under a basket. <laughs> <laughs> so so who who would you say that you root for more, the Pistons or the uh, Bulls? I've, I've, it was very strange. I I, I had a transition in. In baseball, I was living in Bedford, Mass. at the time. I became a Tiger fan back then because they had Hank Greenberg. And I figured that's my kind of team. And so I became a Detroit Tiger fan. And then eventually, wow. you know, I, although not living in Detroit or this area at all, I was still living in Indiana. I was a fan of the Lions, the Red Wings, and the Pistons. Not the Pistons. I got the... They didn't exist back then. Oh, they had the Fort Wayne Pistons the other, back then. <laughs> Fort Wayne Pistons, right. So it didn't matter until until he moved them. <laughs> so you were always a Detroit fan even before you moved yeah, to Detroit. Even though, even though I was nowhere near Detroit, I'd never been to Detroit. <laughs> but but, the, but uh, as a Jewish kid, you know, finding a team that had Hank Greenberg on my god they must be my team all right yeah yeah it's such a such an amazing person to look up such a great role model for kids back then um yeah yeah and and who would play you... on Russia show? <laughs> right he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't play on either it was uh i mean everyone knows about sandy koufax and not wanting to do uh koufax before. did that too right but uh, they don't yeah. know that that, uh, that that Hank Greenberg didn't want to do it on, on Rosh Hashanah either. <laughs> so... <laughs> right, right, right. And it was a lot tougher back then. I mean, he, 
you know, you read the biographies, uh, you know, it was tough. The anti-Semitism was, was very hard at that time. And, you know, he was a great role model and, uh, you know, at the that job with the Cleveland uh, Indians and had a good life. What would you say um, you would want uh, people to remember the most about the, the Jewish community there in Hammond? I think how vibrant it was, how much was always going on, how people were involved, not just in, in the synagogue, but in, in, in the town itself. Um, and also, like, like uh, you, we alluded to earlier, didn't seem to have prejudices. It, was, it seemed to be a, a nice... American community. It just uh, was a good place to live, which might, may be true for most of the major cities in Indiana. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, comparing your, your experience to others. Um, wow. Uh, and, and, you know, probably, you know, vibrant brotherhood and sisterhoods and uh, probably had a, a yeah. B'nai B'rith chapter there, right, in town. Oh, yeah. All of us were in the AZA. I mean, I was, remember the AZA? Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like being in BBYO and AZA. Uh, so, you know, like 40, 50, 70. I don't know how many of us there are. I've got, still got a picture of the, our AZA group. Uh, oh, awesome. And if you was, could scan that and send it to me, that would be amazing. I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah. And Great. a few of the guys are still around, you know, it's, we're talking about, you know, a thousand years ago, roughly. Uh, <laughs> no, I will. Uh, I, I will. I'll uh, email it to you. That'd be, that'd be great. And, and did you go to Jewish summer camp? Yeah. Henry Horner. Avoda. Mm, those were my two Jewish camps, yeah. My folks always left the country during the summer. My dad, had, like all rabbis, had summer off. And so they went to Europe every year and uh, put me in a camp <laughs> so year after year. And, and <laughs> mostly in Michigan or, or Camp Ovada was no, where? Uh, camp Ovada was in... I would say that was in Michigan. I... Oh, yeah, Avadah, yeah. It was part of the, uh, from the Jewish Federation of Chicago, or whatever it was called in Chicago. Uh, and it was a camp, it was divided into two parts. It was a religious part of the camp where basically the kids were doing religious stuff all the time. It was the other camp, Avadah was called work. That's the translation of Avadah. Uh, we were farm workers hmm. in wow. addition to being campers. You know, a lot of days we would we would go out and pick berries and stuff like that. It was, it was not real farm work, but it was the idea of farm work. Hmm. Interesting. And then Camp Henry Horner was, was, it's still around, right? I'm pretty sure it is. I think so. Yeah. I, and I was a counselor at, at Henry Horner as far as, as, far as I remember. You're familiar with the name. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard it before. I just don't know where it's located. Is it Wisconsin? I'm, I or? don't remember. Illinois or somewhere. I'm not, I can't really remember where it was. Um, Avoda was in Buchanan, Michigan. Okay, there, there I've got, ah, I've okay. got that one. Yeah, it's really close to me. That's really, really cool. I'm. Buchanan is, is the whole area, Benton Harbor. That, that. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really close to me in South Bend. Yeah. The I most famous, that. most famous thing there, obviously, is is uh, South Haven. Yes, yeah, South Haven had a lot of Jewish camps, for sure. Yeah. That was the Jewish Catskills of the Midwest. They know very few Jews there anymore. <laughs> And I worked there a couple of summers too at, at uh, Yashinovsky's and at 
one of the other uh, wow medicines. What, wow, what was medicines what was that like? It was a very good experience, a good summer experience. Both both summers I was there, and very enjoyable. A lot of kids my age from all over the country working there, but you you had no people to get jobs there. The guy who stood up for my wedding, who became my best friend, was my roommate at one of these camps, and uh, it was it was just very nice. That's that's a that's a whole fascinating world. I mean, there's still a few Jewish camps and uh, near Kalamazoo, and uh, I, th I think there's an Orthodox yeah. camp and in, in South and um, in that area um, of Michigan. Um, you went to you went to Ramah, right? I uh, well, one summer, but not here in the in the Poconos and. Out, out east, <laughs> mountains better. are beautiful. Are beautiful. Well, yeah. I mean, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's pretty too. Um, I, I must say, and and yeah. uh, and from what I hear, um, one of the founders of Camp Ramah in uh, Wisconsin was from Northwest Indiana. Is that correct? From what I, I what give I me a name. I, I have to. I, I have to know. look up the name. Um, but yeah, so uh, from what I've heard, a lot of the kids from uh, from Northwest Indiana tend to go to uh, Camp Ramah in uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, both Hammond and Gary had vibrant communities. They're both very alive. And East Chicago, was, was Indiana Harbor, had almost a majority of Jews. And Whiting, there were a lot, a lot of Jews living in that area. Wow. Yeah, that so many different communities, Whiting, East Chicago, Indiana Harbor, um, and mm -hmm. I mean, were were the other congregations pretty similar to your father's in terms of observance? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, my friend, uh, the one in downtown, uh, Gary, uh, very, very, very similar, and I'm still in touch with with the son of the rabbi, <laughs> who's now a retired professor. Uh, not the rabbi, but the son. Um, and uh, they were very much like ours. And the one uh, in Gary's other congregation was, was Reform, and it was in the Miller neighborhood, and, yet, and their rabbi was also named Rabbi Miller. There were two Rabbi Millers in Gary at the same time. And wow. both congregations were, were, were vital. Gary, of course, is pretty much wiped off the map now, but... Uh, do you recall that period uh, in the in the late in the I want to say uh, late a turbulent period in the early seventies with the the white flight and and, no. and what happened there? No, because we were already living here in Michigan in in sixty six. Mm -hmm. Already abandoned Indiana. <laughs> so that that happened not long after after you left. Um, because yeah. what I what I had read and and this astounded me was that um, it's an article about Rabbi Irving Miller that he had grown the congregation yeah. from 200 families when he started to 500 families in 1963, um, mm -hmm. and and so by the time he left and I I believe it was 1974, it was no families it was closed so to go from 500 families to the congregation. Closing and merging. And it was a, in a gorgeous neighborhood, a, a terrific community. Uh, and he had a voice like an angel. I mean, he was a great, great Rabbi Hassan at the same time. I don't know if he was a Hassan, but he was a great singer. Um, nice family, a really, really nice family. Interesting. And, and so, the, I mean, did your family kind of know all the rabbis in the neighborhood, I guess, in the, in the in Northwest Indiana. Yeah, probably. Do you want me to put you in, in touch with his son? That would be fantastic. I would love to speak with him. Okay. Art, Art can talk a lot more than I can talk, so that would that'd be good. <laughs> no, it would be fantastic to speak to him because it's kind of a, a, a 
you know, world that's d- disappearing. I mean, even though there's still oh, yeah. a temple and and there's Miller no Hammond. The Hammond Jews, the Hammond Jews, all about in Munster, and they're done. They're in Dyer and Sherrillville, Merrillville, etc. And uh, right. uh, East Chicago, Whiting. Those towns are not ghost towns, but they're not. They're not vibrant. They've all merged. I mean, Whiting still has, I guess, the pierogi fest, and they they have they actually have something that's kind of uh, cute. They have um, the sports mascot uh, museum or the Scott Sports Mascot oh. Hall of Fame there, uh, because they produce oh the uh, sports mats, mascots uh, costumes. So you can see all the different mascots from all the different universities and their costumes uh, there. And, oh, and so Whiting, Indiana. <laughs> so that's something to, to go to Indiana for, I guess. It's a good reason to go to Whiting, I guess. And I do not work for the Indiana Tourism Board, okay? Just uh, FYI. But, okay. um, uh, but you know, it's it's been great speaking with you, Peter. Thank you for oh, I've enjoyed it. It's with us and 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 sharing so many different uh personal reflections uh from your past and and just really you know seeing all these different layers of a, of a jewish community um that was there i mean you really have a, a tour de force story that shows how vibrant a jewish community was in hammond and i really feel that a lot of people should hear this story and and know about what was there in Hammond. And so I thank you for sharing your story with us. Were you in, are you in touch with other people from Hammond or people who used to be, because I, I sort of posted the IU thing. And then I had a couple of guys respond in a way where it, it seemed like they they're they're members of the indiana historical group is that possible or it, it's possible maybe some of them are um i'd have to check uh but yeah more, you know and richie waxman and... i would love for them you know um if they if they feel comfortable some people are kind of hesitant to you know being recorded yeah. and, and and sharing their stories and i get that these are old line Hammond families. These were multi-generational families, unlike mine, which was only like one and a half generations. Uh, and they would probably have a whole lot more to say. I mean, one of them, when I, that picture that you had of the store, he commented back to you on, on it. Uh, you know, it was, it was not really that name at that time it was some other name already. And it was, uh, became Goldblatt brothers and, and his family probably so worked there for generations, right? Yeah, yeah. So the second to... and third generation yeah. him and people. Well, p- well, please, you know, uh, let them know if they want to, um, you know, be recorded. I'd, I'd love to speak with them and, you know, so we can get these okay. histories down. It's, uh, it's important. Uh, yeah. For for people to, to... Well, you're doing... go you're ahead. Doing something very good here. Thank you, thank you. I really I really appreciate that and uh, appreciate you saying that. And I, I apologize for a little bit of the lag on the Zoom. I don't know what's going on with it today. We're it's not like we're so far away. Like uh, like like uh, we're on the other side of the world. Um, you're in Michigan. Yeah. I'm in Indiana. But Our Zoom is lag today. <laughs> My Zoom with you is perfect. We're speaking like we're in the same room. Good, good. I'm glad you can hear me. Good. Um, yeah, very good. Is there is there anything you know in in closing that you'd like to that you'd like to share um, about your professional experiences or your time in Indiana that that we didn't that we didn't get to talk about? No, I think. It was, all, it was all a very nice experience. I was very happy to. You went to IU too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I'm also a Hoosier. Yes. So, yeah, it was wonderful going to IU and meeting guys and girls, you know, from other parts of the state and from other states. Uh, 
but once I was married, uh, you know, professionally, I, you know, I, I wound up moving out of the area. I was with, I think, as a proscript, I, I was with Standard Oil and at the at the headquarters in Chicago, and they offered me the opportunity to head the PR effort in in uh, Texas City, Texas which meant that I immediately ran to the Wall Street Journal to see if I could find a better job. And I and, uh, went to Michigan. Wow. Not everybody wants to be in Texas City, Texas. With <laughs> <laughs> this young Jewish, his young Jewish wife and baby, you know, it's not yeah. a place to be. <laughs> yeah, imagine so. So, uh, well, you know, hey, at least you're you're close to the Tigers and uh yeah. you're, you're unfortunately to... I don't go to any games of any team. They're all boring as heck. <laughs> I feel but, sorry uh, for the Lions. My my I still watch them by by the way, I know my father's family are Michiganders, so I get the okay. I get I get the whole Tigers thing. I, I grew up as a Tigers fan like you. Um okay. Mickey Mantle was like a hero in my household. Yeah. Um, you know, was it the 68 or 69 uh, Tigers were immortalized? One of my prized possessions, I, when I was a kid, I was, you know, like in, in my early teens, I would write to the ball players in their communities and they would send me, you know, autographed postcards or pictures or whatever from, and Mickey Mantle sent me one and I've been offered several thousand dollars for that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's worth a lot definitely um so it was great speaking with you today peter uh let's let's stay in Pleasure. let's stay in touch and um that'd and, be great uh, and I'll, I'll try to put you in touch with with a couple of northwest indiana people How's thank, <laughs> thank you yeah thank you much appreciated and uh all the best to you and your family in this challenging time and i i wish you uh, a zis and pesach you know uh, same to a, you, same to you. And a kosher one as well. It won't be a, it won't be a family gathering, but all, you know, the two of us will enjoy it. <laughs> right, same, same for us. Okay. All the... <laughs> you, is your, you still have a family at home? You have your wife and... Uh... Yeah, yeah, just, just the wife and the son, and that's 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 that, just us together, so... <laughs> okay. So <laughs> won't be so traveling. You can play to two then. That'll be good. <laughs> but uh, you know, next next year in Jerusalem, hopefully, right? Can we say? So. Uh, we're hoping. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care. All the best, Peter. Be well. You too. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the In Jewish History podcast, a project of the Indiana Jewish Historical Society. Look us up on the web at ijhs.org.